So, and then I did read, yeah, I was on holiday, of course. And then I did read another book called um, Dirty Glory, subtitled Go Where Your Best Prayers Take You. And Pete Gregg wrote that, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement. Very inspirational, right? An inspirational collection of stories of prayer changing lives, of faith adventures, and of developing a new intimacy with God. Of, you know, not just bringing a list of requests, you know, your shopping list. Lord, would you do that? Lord, would you save them? Lord, would you give me this? Look, it's just developing that intimacy in the private place with him. Inspired me, this book. I, th- that's what it looks like if you're considering getting a copy. Um, I'm going to take the liberty of reading one very small um, excerpt out of this because... Um, he, he talks about, in one part, the Hebridean revival, which I've read a fair bit about, actually. But I di- hadn't read about this particular character that the author met. He actually went up there and met this man in his 80s um, who was there during the revival in the Hebrides the, the, uh, in Scotland. Um, and this guy's name was Donald MacPhail. Right, and if you remember the the sort of instrument God used for the revival in the Hebrides was a fellow called Duncan Campbell, who saw thousands come to Christ on over a couple of years on those Hebridean islands. Uh, lots of young people coming to Christ, whereas previous there were none in the church. Anyway, this is just one little little part. It says there were times during the revival when Duncan Campbell's preaching was surprisingly ineffective. And he would turn to Donald MacPhail. This guy was 16 years old at the time. He drove the prayer and intercession for this revival, 16 years old. He would turn to Donald MacPhail for prayer support. On one occasion, he was preaching to a group gathered in a police station. But his words were falling flat. Donald, this is the 16-year-old, Donald rose to his feet and prayed a single word with deep emotion. Father, he said. That was all. Just two syllables. And the Holy Spirit came in power. Like a rushing wind, people began to cry out for salvation without another word being preached. On another occasion, the teenage intercessor took a naval officer to catch a bus When Donald shook my hand, the sailor later recalled, it was as if God himself touched me. As the bus drove away, the officer gave his life to Jesus. And this, you can clap, that's good. I know it was a long time ago, but God saved a man. Oh, heaven rejoiced at the time. We can continue. But there was one little bit in there that just described this, this, Donald McPhail's prayer and he would just constantly be in a barn praying, just communing with his God. And there was one time Duncan Campbell, the celebrity, the, the God's anointed preacher who he became good friends with, came, came to visit and Donald, the 16-year-old, was out in the barn praying and somebody come and said, look, Duncan Campbell's here to see you. He said, I can't see him right now. I have an audience with the king. Think, man, he had his priorities right. 
What a challenge, isn't it? And particularly in the light of our, we, you know, the, the prayer that we have coming up, the prayer meetings and the week of prayer. But that time alone, that focus that we have with our God. In a minute, I'm going to, I'm going to ask Denise just to come and talk about that from her perspective. She also read this book. In fact, this is her copy. I, I had to buy mine on the Kindle while I was there because she kept reading so much of it to me. I thought, don't keep quoting it to me. I'm going to read my own version. So uh, let, let me, before we, we are going to look at some Bible in a minute, by the way. I'm going to, we're going to look, yeah, that's helpful, isn't it? We're going to look at um, the beginning of Isaiah chapter 6 in a moment and just look at God. Seven glimpses of God from Isaiah's vision. But before we do that, let, let me just ask Denise just to come and tell a few stories. Thank you. Doesn't she look lovely? She's already married. Sorry, fellas. Here we are. I'm a bit nervous, but I'm glad I am, because then I know it's Jesus. Um, when we was on holiday, we spoke to so many people, and people tend to come up to us and want to talk to us, and they just tell us all their life history. And it's really nice, because you're not going anywhere, so you can just listen to them. You know, and it, it, one man, he was telling us he had ingrowing toenails, and he had to have them removed, and his wife's knees were really playing up. But then... After a little while, he said, we lost our son. He committed suicide. He went, that broke my heart. He said, he was my favourite. And he just started crying. And we just listened while he talked about it. And, you know, and so on holiday, so, so many people came up and was just chatting to us day, you know, in the evenings, in the day on the boat. And we, you listen and have a laugh with them. And I just feel like... With God, I said, God, I'd, we do that to you all the time. We just talk at you. We don't really ask you about you. Now, I know we can read in the Bible about God, but something in me, I just said, God, tell me about you. And I believe God wants us to say, God, tell me about you. And it's only when you spend time alone with God that we really, really get to know him because he whispers to you. He puts things in your heart. He puts things in your head. And <clears throat> that's how we're going to get to know him, by spending time alone. And God really challenged me because it's something I love to do. But over the holiday, we all lose routine and we didn't have church and things go by the by and we have a different routine. So I speak for myself here. God is calling us back to get into that routine. He wants our whole hearts. And the only way he gets your whole heart is by you being on your own with him. Jesus never did anything before he went and spent time on his own. He dismissed the disciples. He dismissed the crowd and he'd go off on his own. Now, if Jesus had to do that, how much more do we have to do it? Um, so, I, you know, I just think as the start of a new sort of church term, let's really make that our focus, to get on our own with God, to shut the door. And it, you can see why it says in the Bible, throw off all things that hinder you. So many things. What hinders you might be something different for someone else it could be a game on your phone it could be twitter whatever it is let's i, I deleted some games off my phone because i thought 
that they, they distract me. I think, oh, that's a way of unwinding a little bit after school. No, they're a distraction. I got them off my phone. So let's hit, throw off what hinders us. Um, so I just really want to talk about spending time with Jesus because when we do, we, let's face it, we're always, always, till the day we die, going to be in a battle, always, where the battle can rage sometimes and seem out of control and we think we don't know left from right, it's too overpowering. Other times the battle might not be so bad. But the only way we can get through battle is by getting strength by spending time with Jesus. So this is where we get our strength from. So I'm not that polished, so bear with me a minute, because I know what I want to say, but I'm not that good. Um, The other thing I wanted to say to you was, I just wanted to read out... um, Bear with me. (laughs) Right. There's so many verses in the Bible that tell us, Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Be still, in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Psalm 1. But those who delight in the law of the Lord, who meditate on these law day and night. There's so many verses here. When you pray, Matthew 6, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So many verses. I could go on and on and on. But it's telling us to get alone with God. And I, you know, I just want to throw it out as a challenge. It's not a, it's not a bad thing to do. It's a really good thing. And if God's going to bring in lots and lots of people, he needs us to be right. And the only way we get right, we can hear teaching all the time here. We can read our Bibles. But it's when you get on your own with God. He speaks about the deep things in your heart that, that you don't even quite know yourself, but God will show you. And it's only there that God can properly change you. Um, And another thing as well, there's that song, isn't there? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of life will grow strangely dim as we... Thank you. And I sing that all the time. And then the very last verse, it says... His word shall not fail you. He promised, believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. The only way we can go to that world that is dying is by spending time with Jesus. Because we will have something to give. It's like when you put perfume on. If it grows faint, people can't really smell it. We want to go out with that perfume so that people can smell Jesus and think there's something. On holiday, people smelt that perfume. They smelt that perfume on holiday because they was attracted to us. We, sometimes we just wanted a little bit of peace and quiet. But people would pull chairs over and sit with us. Or they would save us a place on the boat because they wanted to be next to us. So they could just talk to us. So, but you think, I take that as a compliment because it was Jesus, really, they wanted to talk to. Okay. Amen. Thank you. Where's... 
we were chatting the gospel in some bizarre positions. At one time, we we're floating in a bay in the Aegean Sea, having come off the side of the boat. I didn't jump in, I just went down the ladder. To these German, Turkish German lady and her kids, and we're chatting to them about Jesus, right? And then in, in the swimming pool, another time, there's a, a, lady, a lady just said, how did you get into all that Christian stuff then? I think, that's quite a good question to have asked, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah, the bizarre thing is you're floating about in the pool and you're trying to chat. Well, who knows? And, and there, was one other st- there was one other lady who came up. To, on the last day we was there, she was an English girl married to a Turkish fellow who was living out there. And she said... I didn't know you was a pastor. I said, well, it's because I never told you. And she said, I know a pastor in London. You might know him. I said, there's eight million people in London. I won't know him. She said, his name's Glenn Walsh. That's my (laughs) brother-in-law. It's my youngest sister's husband. (laughs) I mean, can can you believe that? That spurred a few conversations as well. God uses us wherever we are, doesn't he? But we've got to come from that place of strength, from that place of intimacy, that place of wonder. I just want to spend a little bit of time looking at our God because, you know, we, we've had some laughs and we've, we've, we've had, there's been some serious stuff as well. We've worshipped him. But I just want to try and paint a bit of a picture of how huge and how breathtaking and how glorious is our God. We, I haven't got lots of time. But I'm going to read to you from Isaiah chapter 6, just the first four verses. In fact, this, was, this was, came up in this Dirty Glory book as just in a little aside, just a little reference in there. And I just thought, oh man, that preaches. And um, so let me read it to you first and then we'll, we'll have seven glimpses of God from the first four verses of Isaiah chapter 6. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. I mean, just an otherworldly vision, a glorious glimpse of some of the majesty and wonder of our God. And I just want to go through very briefly, and this won't be deep, but hopefully it will just give us a taster of something of our God. The, the, the first of the seven points I just want to make, taken from that passage, is God is alive. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, the king died, I saw the Lord. And I was just working it out, right? Google's a wonderful thing. In just 110 years, this planet will be populated by over 11 billion brand new people. And all seven and a half billion, approximately, of us who are alive today will have vanished off the earth. 
just like Isaiah, dead. But he is alive. God lives on. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God, the psalmist writes. God was the living God when this universe came into existence. And he will be the living God 10 trillion lifetimes from now. When all the puny people, not mentioning Dawkins at all, who try to argue against the reality of a living God, have died themselves. He always has been He always will be. He's alive. That's our God. That should stir something in us, shouldn't it? It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what they throw at us. It doesn't matter what accusations they make. It doesn't matter if they say, yeah, of course God's dead. You don't believe all that superstitious nonsense, do you? You think, no, he's alive. He is alive. Alive. What's the next one? The second one is, he is the authority. God is the authority. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, he said. No vision of heaven has ever described God as, uh, as rushing around trying to keep things going. You think, oh, it's gone wrong over there. I've got to go and sort that out. And this is falling apart. And there's the, you know, like those, those blokes on the telly that used to see spinning plates on poles. You know that God's not like that. He sat on his throne. He's in authority. He's in charge. Heaven is not coming apart at the seams. God is never at his wit's end. He sits on his throne. All is at peace and he's in complete control. He rules the world. Now you may think, "Ah, but my life's gone really out of control at the moment. God is in control. You think, my life's been really difficult recently. God is in control. Get into that closet. Get into that room. Spend time with him. Say, say back to him, Lord, you're in control. I know it because your word says it. I want to experience it as well. But the truth is, he has the authority. He is seated on his throne. He's in control. We don't give God authority over our lives. You know that. He already has it. Whether we like it or not. He has authority over our lives. He is the ultimate authority. Right? It's not the European court, whatever you think of that. Right? After him, there is no appeal. God is the authority. So he is alive. He is the authority. What's the third one? God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. I saw the Lord sitting on upon sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. The throne of his authority is not it's not just one of many thrones. Right? It's high and lifted up. It's unique. He's there in a position of great power, all power, omnipotent. God's throne is higher than any other throne. He has total, complete power to exercise his authority. No opposing authority can change the decrees of our God. Did you know that? That's so good, isn't it? Does that build a bit of strength and security into you? What he decides, he accomplishes because he is all-powerful. Isaiah 46 verse 10 says, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. That's what he says. He's he's all 
powerful to be gripped, to be held by the omnipotence, by the all-powerful God, though the sovereign God is either too marvellous for words because he's for us, or it's too terrifying to contemplate if he's against us. And right at this moment, you need to ask yourself, is he for me or is he against me? Or maybe ask yourself, am I for him or am I against him? And you can only come to him through Jesus himself. You can only come to God the Father through God the Son. Because he made a way. He chose to shed his blood for you. He went to the cross and sacrificed himself because that was the only way you can know the omnipotent God. He took the punishment we deserve for the things we've done wrong, said wrong and fought wrong. He paid the price so that we could live. He died so we could live forever. What a God, eh? So it, it is a matter of what side are you on? What side of the line are you? I know which side I want to be. I know which side I am. I'm with the God who is alive, the God who has authority, the God who is all-powerful. We, we mustn't be indifferent to the omnipotence of God. If you are indifferent to it, then I would say you haven't seen it for what it is, the all-powerful God. What's the next one? God is resplendent. I love that word. God is resplendent. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. This is not a steam train, right? You know, you've seen the pictures of those royal brides whose train of their fancy silk dress follows behind them and there's, an, there's an, a, a myriad of bridesmaids attending to them and arranging it so it glides up the steps to the cathedral and down the aisle and up the steps de- near the altar and it looks wonderful, don't it? Right? That's nothing compared to this. God's robe fills the entire heavenly temple, symbolic of his incomparable splendor. His tr- the train of his robe filled the temple. The fullness of God's splendor shows itself in a thousand ways, in hundreds of thousands of ways, in millions of ways, doesn't it? You know, we can look at creation, the wonder of creation. I was looking, I don't know how I got, even got into it. You know that some of that blue planet stuff? And so into some of the deepest parts of the ocean... There's these fish with like lights on their heads. And they're real ugly fish, but they've got these, some of them have got these sort of beams of light under their eyes. Some of them have got these sort of like a lantern hanging. You think, why? And there's thousands of them. Well, it's dark down there, but you don't even, why why even bother putting the fish down there in the first place? It's for his glory. We don't even see him, do we? It's only recent, in recent years when we've been out to go down there and see him. It's, it's to display his splendor because he enjoyed doing it. Right? So we see his splendor in creation. Why do giraffes have such long necks? Because there'd be a big gap between the head and their shoulders. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Did you hear that? The comment was because they have such smelly feet. Right. But the, cre- the, the splendor of his creation, and we, sometimes we take that for granted so much, don't we? But the splendor of forgiveness. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Forgiveness. When we forgive someone else because he first forgave us. It's a beautiful thing. Shows his resplendence. Because God is lavish in splendor, his creative fullness overflows in excessive beauty. That's a quote from a commentator I read, and I forgot to put his name there. Because God is lavish in splendor, his creative fullness overflows in excessive beauty. What a wonderful God. When I was floating in the Aegean Sea with the sun beaming down and the sky... I know, all right. (laughs) I'll stop. And the the sea so clear, I'm not... The sea so clear that you can see the fish beneath your feet. You think, God is splendid, ain't he? Fish and chips is, is splendid as well. If that's, but if, you know, we, we, we consider, we consider the splendor of his creation. And if that's the way the world is, and it can be breathtaking, can't it? How much more resplendent must the Lord who fought it up in the first place, who made it be? He truly is resplendent. What's the fifth one? We're getting close to the end of our time. God is revered. Above him stood the seraphim. I mean, you, you just got to imagine these glorious creatures. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And I'm, I'm not sure anyone really knows exactly what these strange creatures with six wings and feet and eyes and huge intelligence are. How big were they? What did they look like? But I think it's safe to say they're not like, you know, some of them cartoon images of angels are like little chubby, curly, blonde-haired babies with white wings. I don't think they were like that. These things were awesome. These things were glorious. And according to verse 4, when one of them speaks, the foundations of the temple shake. I mean, man, it's scary, isn't it? They're not puny little creatures. They are magnificent. They are awesome. They are powerful. And this, the point is this. They can't even look at the Lord. They won't even expose their feet in his presence. As glorious and majestic and awesome as they are, they revere their God in great humility. All through the Bible... When angels appear before mankind in their brilliance and their power, people are terrified. But those same angels hide in holy fear and reverence from the glory of God. How much more should we tremble in his presence? It's just getting it into perspective, isn't it? And we have an intimacy and we have a personal... We've been talking about that. Go and be in an intimate place with him. Go and talk with him. But we still need to carry this view as well of a reverent awe to the God 
of all creation. Number six, God is holy. He says, and one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. There's a problem here trying to define holiness. If you define, if you try and define the holiness of God, you, you ultimately end up saying, God is holy. Because, which means God is God, right? You know, the, the root of that word holy means to, to, to cut or to separate. You know, a holy thing is cut off from, it's separated from the usual. You know, on, on earth, things and people are described as holy, as they are distinct from the world and set apart to God. Right, and there's a whole list you can go through. You could go through the scriptures, and you read of holy ground, holy assemblies, holy sabbaths, a holy nation, holy garments, holy city, holy promises, holy men, holy women, holy scriptures, holy hands, a holy kiss, and a holy faith. But what happens when this definition is applied to God Himself? What can you separate God from to make him holy? Gets a bit confusing, doesn't it? It's a bit like me reading John Lennox. Right? It's just, it stretches your brain. The very godness of God means that he is separate from all that is not God. There's an infinite difference between the creator and the created. He's one of a kind, isn't he? That's why he's God. He's in a class of his own. And in that sense, he is utterly holy. You know, when, when he was asked for his name in early chapters of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, he said, I am who I am. His being and his character are completely free from Outside influence. He's not holy because he keeps the rules. He wrote the rules. He's not holy because he keeps the law. The law is holy because it reveals God. This is not even making sense, is it? It's just mind-blowing to me. In the end, God is holy in that he is God, not man. We could spend a series of sermons just on that one sentence. Let's go to the last point. Point seven. God is glorious. Before the silence and before the shaking of the foundation and before the smoke, we hear this final thing about God from this passage. God is glorious. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Somebody once said the glory of God is the manifestation of his holiness. His holiness is revealed and it's glory. God's holiness is the incomparable perfection of of his divine nature, his glory is the display of that holiness.
God is glorious means God's holiness has gone public. We can experience him. We can commune with him. We can meet with him. In Leviticus chapter 10, God says, I will show myself holy among those who are near me and before all the people I will display my glory. So when those creatures say the whole earth is full of his glory, it's because it's true. Here's a promise from God who is alive forever, who is the authority, who is omnipotent, all-powerful, who is resplendent, who is revered, who is holy and glorious. From Jeremiah 29, he says, You will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When we seek God, I hope we've just got a slightly better understanding of how wonderful he is, how breathtaking, how mind-blowing he is. And he loves us. And he forgives us. And even as you think of his, the, the wonder of all this, you may be calls to think of your own frailties and your own mistakes and the own, your own sin you think and yet he still loves us isn't he great shall we pray Jesus Jesus thank you that for revealing the father to us we didn't deserve it we certainly didn't ask for it, yet you in your grace and your mercy done it. That we can know you and we can spend a lifetime, an eternity, getting to know you that bit more. I pray you'd help us, Lord, as you have mercy on us. Direct us and encourage us to find that quiet place with you that we can just not bring a shopping list of prayer requests always, but just to come and say, I love you, Lord. How are you today? To ask those intimate questions, to reveal the intimacy of our own lives to you, because you know it anyway. As we pray corporately and as we pray on our own, extend your grace to us, Lord, that we can do that a little bit more and a little bit more and put you first in every situation we find ourselves in every thought we have every word that comes out of our mouth every action that we do that we'll be so aware of a wonderful wonderful God a God who is alive a God who has authority a God who is omnipotent and resplendent a God who is revered holy and glorious Lord we love you today Amen.